1: I mean, in, in fairness to Ham, there were like seven people left in the whole world. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's not, there's not many people that can satisfy whatever sexy feelings you're having. <laughs> um, but still, your dad or your mom is probably the wrong choice.
2: Hey, everybody. I'm Dan McClellan. And I'm Dan Beecher. And you're listening to the Data Over Dogma podcast, where we increase public access to the academic study of the Bible and religion, and combat the spread of misinformation about the same. How are things, Dan?
1: Things are good. It's finally actually like kind of looking like winter here in Salt Lake City. Uh, there was a little bit of snow this morning, and it's c- yeah. coldish. Yeah, we, global uh, warming's failing us again.
2: <laughs> My dogs are—they uh, uh, don't like the snow. Oh really? Uh, yeah, the well the older one is kind of like don't make me go outside I don't <laughs> like it. and then, like doing and then the 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 puppy is just like <laughs> just, um but is you know kind of confused about what's going on. The first because- dog I
1: ever had uh the first day that it saw that he saw snow, he bolted like I've never seen him bolt. He ran out the door <laughs> And down the street, like into neighbors' yards, I've ne- he had never done this before. He was just so excited about snow. And from then on, like if we were shoveling, he wanted to be out there, and he wanted us to shovel the snow onto him. Like he just anything involving snow, he wanted us to throw it at him. He wanted he just was always <laughs> he snow to be, loved the snow.
2: He was a snowman, huh?
1: He was. He was All indeed. Right. Well, uh, hey, there's a whole show. That we're gonna be doing, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a chapter and verse Alrighty. to start us off, mm-hmm. uh, and then we're going to do a we're gonna dive into a new segment that we're calling your patriarchy and you. So that'll be a lot of fun. Sounds uh, exciting, awesome. uh, and and uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a great time with it. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's launch into chapter and verse.
2: And uh, our chapter and verse today comes courtesy of the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 9, and we're talking about verses 18 through 27. I hear there are a lot
1: of answers in Genesis. I hear (laughs) hear that it has all of the answers that we need.
2: Um, There can be. Um, (laughs) This is an interesting story, though, that um, I think catches a lot of people off guard. If they're reading through Genesis and they get through the primeval history, they're like, what the hell was that?
1: Yeah, Um, I I will say... The first time I encountered this story, uh, you know, this is about Noah. I mm-hmm. thought I knew the Noah story. I got through the whole floody thing, and then I got to this, <laughs> and it's only a few verses. It's not long. You could miss it if you're if you were drowsy, mm-hmm. but I wasn't drowsy, and I went. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what? Like I literally, I and I reread it, and I thought maybe I had read it wrong, and I was utterly baffled by what happened here. So I'm very glad that we get to talk about this because uh, I think a lot of people could use some uh, some Dan guidance on this one and mm. not me, you Dan.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and read it and I'm going to read from uh, the new Revised Standard Version and then talk a little bit about some of the issues that we have and how, how we go about interpreting this because – there are some oddities here, and I'm going to suggest that we're probably not getting the story as it was originally told. Ah. We've got some theories about how it may have looked originally, but I'll go ahead and read. Okay, I might <clears throat> I might
1: stop you as we as we go on, just because yeah. yeah uh, feel
2: free some to things. So, verse 18: The sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan.
1: Which I'm going to stop you right there because that jumps out at you. Right. We we don't talk about like Shem and Japheth have their own lineages that go on for, from which we are all descended. Theoretically, you know, mm-hmm. these are the three from whom we are all descended. Mm-hmm. But it just takes a whole little moment to separate out Ham and his lineage.
2: Yeah, and then in a bit later we're gonna mention Ham again and then we're gonna get another parenthetical remark of the father of Canaan, just yeah. so you're aware. So yeah, we are being um they're leading us. Right. There's some foreshadowing going on here, which is indicative that that maybe there's some literary shenanigan right. um, going on here. And we're gonna talk about what that might have been. Yeah. So you'll
1: you'll need to explain uh in a minute. We'll pull yeah. the pin on,
2: on on Canaan. Yeah. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was peopled. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. And and I'm going to stop myself here <laughs> to point out that a lot of scholars think that the story of Noah before the flood story was, uh, was put in here mm. was just a story of the etiology for... A viticulture. Oh, weird. That okay. Noah was just the first viticulturist. And that's that was his role in the story. And then we get <laughs> the flood gets introduced later. Um, so we get this. Noah, man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. Um, it seems Wait, kind of I, odd. I,
1: I, I am going to jump in here. Sorry. I had to switch things up on my uh, screen to the KJV because that line uh, that he's a man of the soil and first to mm-hmm. plant a vineyard, the way it's rendered in the KJV is yeah. maybe my favorite for wording in the universe, <laughs> which is, and Noah began to be an husbandman. Yes. And he planted a viz- vineyard. Yeah. He began to be an husbandman. So uh, that's ten times yeah. fast. <laughs> I, don't
2: uh, think,
1: I don't think husbandry, uh we we don't, first of all, we don't use the word and husbandman much yeah. these days.
2: And us. and for those who are wondering what's going on with the N, the an-husbandman, so on an indefinite um, article, mm. you can have A or an, and usually you have an if the next word begins with a vowel. Right. And so in the period when the King James Version was translated, you didn't pronounce the H. Yeah. It was an-husbandman. <laughs> so um, it just was more natural that way. So yeah. there we go. Okay. So, uh, sorry to interrupt again.
1: We'll, we we'll, no we'll, I promise I'll, tr- I'll, I'll try to let you get through this thing.
2: So, we're getting reintroduced to Noah as someone who is significant only because he makes wine. Yeah. Um, even though we've had, um, two and a half chapters of discussion about Noah so far, he drank some of the wine and became drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent, as you know, as you like to do sometimes. It's, you know what? Everybody's it's done it, it's, it's a fun yeah. day.
1: Uh, You know, you got a warm day and you're you're drinking your wine.
2: There's nobody else on the planet except for your children. Your family. Yeah. And Ham, father of Canaan, (laughs) saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. Lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed by the Lord my God be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. And
1: that—that That is... So harsh. I mean, look, I, I don't know how to interpret that other than what it actually says, which is, correct me if I'm wrong, Ham accidentally walked in on his dad naked and his dad was like, okay, all of your descendants for the rest of forever are slaves now uh, because you did something so bad.
2: That is that is a good surface reading of this but I'm going to raise some questions here.
1: Thank God. Because <laughs> I the surface reading is uh has gives me no comfort. So yes. Well, it's not going to get raise some questions.
2: It's not going to get appreciably better. But oh, okay. we're going to we're going to raise some questions here. Okay, so he says it says when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him. Now, when they mention the children, it's Sham, Shem, Ham and Japheth. In the Hebrew Bible, when they list children, they list them oldest to youngest. Okay. Ham is not the youngest. According to According to the way they list them, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay. According to that convention, Japheth would be the youngest. Right. Ham would be the middle child. Sure. But here it says his youngest son had done to him. Okay, now here's another issue. If Canaan is Ham's son... Lowest of slaves shall be he be to his brothers. Blessed be the Lord my God, by the Lord my God be Shem, let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth and let him live in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his slave. Those are his uncles. Yeah. Not his brothers.
1: Right. So we got something if funky it, yeah. going on here. Yeah, if we're cursing Canaan, then yeah, those that's weird. There so. is
2: a way to resolve this. Oh. And the resolution is that Canaan was the youngest son of Noah, and Ham was not even in this story originally. If you have Shem, Japheth, and Canaan as his three sons, cursed be Canaan, lowest of the slaves shall he be to his brothers, namely Shem and Japheth, his two older brothers making him the youngest. So a lot of scholars think originally this story was probably about Shem, Japheth, and Canaan. And so our little curse that Noah um, levels against uh, the youngest son was probably just leveled at Canaan. And so this raises the question, well, what's Ham doing in here? And one theory is that Ham would, according to Genesis 10 and um, the other genealogies, Ham would be the eponymous ancestor of the Egyptians and other Africans, Ethiopians and things like that. And so it may be that in order to ensure that, as it says in um Genesis nine nineteen, from these the whole earth was peopled, they're like, We need somebody to cover Africa. Let's get this guy <laughs> Ham and and we need to stick him into the Noah story. Well, we got Canaan in there right now. Okay, well, we'll make Canaan the son of Ham. Now okay. this leaves these kind of narrative incongruities. Um got continuity problems here. Um right. And so that's what what scholars suggest is probably going on here.
1: What makes Ham eponymous for the Africans? For, for- uh,
2: if you you talk about um, and and this is not a uh, a word that is used a lot, but Hamitic people. Oh, okay. Um, and also in the 18th and 19th century, when European and American Christians were trying to authorize and validate the enslavement of Africans. Then this curse became their proof text. Yeah, the Hamitic curse, the curse of the the offspring of Ham, to be slaves. Well, right there, there you go. We get yeah, to. Yeah, I enslave. have heard that
1: used. Like, like yeah. I remember that being a thing that people talked about.
2: Yeah, and um, and there are a couple of good books um, that talk about this this concept of the uh, the curse of of Ham. Uh, by a, an author, I think it's—yeah, Gold, Goldenberg, uh, in 2003, published a book called The Curse of Ham, Race and Slavery in Early Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Uh, that is a wonderful book. And then there's another one that uh, is even more recent— that is from 2017, David M. Goldenberg, Black and Slave, The Origins and History of the Curse of Ham, Mm. um, goes over how this idea kind of sprang from the Bible and then became the proof text for enslaving Africans um, for um, the modern European world. So um, that's how it's been deployed. But yeah, initially it was probably just covering the ground saying, okay, now we got somebody to cover Africa. We got somebody to cover the Semites. We got somebody to cover the other people uh, out there. Um, and so we can say that the whole earth was peopled now that we've got ham in place and it, and it caused them uh, you know, a little hiccup in the narrative, but they're not too upset about that.
1: Now the Israelite people, the people who would be deploying this, who would be reading this believed that they came from, from which? From Shem, from Jem?
2: Shem, from Shem. Shem? Yeah, this okay. is where we get the word Semitic.
1: Oh, oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Okay, great. And then there, and then frequently in the rest of the Hebrew Bible, the Canaanites are their enemies. Yes. So, so this is this is sort of a an an etiology for the beginning of that. Uh, uh, yeah.
2: And in, in, it, in that time period, the idea here was, we don't like the Canaanites, we want to dominate the Canaanites, we want to enslave the Canaanites, and here's our authorization. So in the ancient uh, world, it was, well, this authorizes our enslavement of the Canaanites, and then in the 18th and 19th century, well, this authorizes our enslavement of the, the Hamitic peoples. So it's uh, being deployed to structure, power, and values um, in the service of their own uh, identity politics, so um, here's an interesting question. What on earth does it mean that uh, Ham saw the nakedness of his father?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's big <laughs> the big glaring problem of the story, right? because uh a the story doesn't indicate at all that anything like it was an accident. He just happened to walk in. Yeah. And bada bing. Hey, Dad, have you
2: seen my PS4? Fo- Woo. Uh. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and then he immediately, like, takes steps. He's like, hey, brothers, don't, don't, you know, he goes and, t- set, like, gives them warning and, like.
2: Well, there's, and that, that's one way to interpret it. I think most people have um, have interpreted it to be like, he went outside and was like, hey, guess what I just saw. Um, and then the brothers were like, how dare you. And they, they're the ones who, who carefully back their way in. Right. But, but one of the reasons, there are two reasons that a lot of, um, very early in the history of the interpretation of the Hebrew Bible, we're talking early rabbinic literature. They're like, something else is going on here. Yeah. And one of the reasons is that the, uh, the curse of, uh, ham or Canaan seems to be a bit of an overcorrection. A Maybe bit a, a little tiny, tiny
1: bit disproportional.
2: Yeah. Um and the other thing is it says he he woke up and knew what his youngest son had done to him. And people are like, well what if he just walked in and was like, oh crap and then walked out, how would Noah have known what his son did to him? Right. And so in the uh in the early Rabbinic period, you have this reading that he castrated him. And the wow. idea Yeah. And the idea being, this accounts for the curse. He ended Noah's line, so now Noah is gonna curse his line. Not Ham, but Canaan. So everybody yeah. who comes from his line is now cursed. So that was an early rabbinic interpretation. We have another interpretation um, in other rabbinic literature that reads it as a case of paternal incest that uh, Ham sexually assaulted his unconscious uh, drunk, naked father. Which is...
1: uh,
2: Yeah, let that marinate.
1: Like, All of that is pretty intense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of those are very... uh, Like, you get... The curse more, but what what's baffling to me is uh, how how completely unspoken either of those things are. Yeah, In now, in the text,
2: now there's there is a, a, a datum, a piece of data that uh, folks have appealed to to um, to reinforce the sexual interpretation of Ham's sin, and that is the fact that Ham sees his father's nakedness. Now this is something that, this is a phrase that occurs elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible. Now there is one occurrence in Leviticus 20 verse 17 that has to do with uh, an act of sexual intercourse. And this is in in a piece of legislation that talks about not um, a, a man, not marrying his sister. Mm. And, the issue, though, with, with understanding seeing nakedness to mean a sexual act is that seeing nakedness in no other passage has to do with a sexual act. Uncovering somebody's nakedness refers to a sexual act dozens mm. of times. Okay. So, this the, the idiom is uncovering one's nakedness. In fact, in that passage in Leviticus, where it says, um, if a man marry his sister, and then he has seen her nakedness. She has seen his nakedness. He has uncovered her nakedness. And then you know um, that it's uh, trouble. So that so, being a different
1: act than seeing the naked. Right,
2: right. The uncovering the nakedness is um, is still kind of governing the the act of of sexual congress there. And everywhere else in Leviticus where it talks about not you know a man not uh, sleeping with his father, sleeping with his sister, sleeping with his. I was gonna say wife's sister but I'm not sure if they really cared um <laughs> but there were there were there were a bunch of places where uncovering one's nakedness is a reference to a sexual act seeing nakedness usually is a reference to the exposure of vulnerability or shame
1: mm.
2: because when when Adam and Eve first gained knowledge of good and evil what's the first thing they realized they saw that they were naked and they were shamed or they right. felt shame and they covered themselves up and mm. And then you have, like, Joseph, when, uh, when he's pretending to be Pharaoh and his brothers show up, he says, Ah, you've come to see the nakedness of the land, uh, referring to the vulnerability of Egypt during the famine. Um, and, this, and this happens throughout the Hebrew Bible. This idea of seeing someone's nakedness is seeing their shame or their vulnerability. And this was this was a serious thing, anciently, and still in um, in that part of the world, the idea of uh, nakedness is is considered very shameful. And this was one of the reasons that um, during the um, the Gulf War, one of the things that uh, sometimes soldiers did in in an awful and criminal act was strip their prisoners naked, right, and then take photographs of them and um, you know make them engage in all kinds of acts while they were naked. And this was considered just supremely uh, shameful. Yeah. And so seeing someone, seeing your father's nakedness, seeing your father's vulnerability and shame and not protecting it, but actually going and telling other people about it would have been considered a pretty serious indiscretion at the time. Uh, and so I, I think that is the most likely reading that yeah, it may not make much sense to, to most readers today. But yeah, the idea is just that Ham walked in and instead of covering up his father, uh, protecting his honor, he went and spread his shame. Mm. And then his brothers had to go in and cover him up. And the, and the story about the brothers covering him up also makes the other readings nonsensical. So if seeing his nakedness refers to castrating him or sexually assaulting him or sexually assaulting his wife. How does this fit where they walk in backwards with right. yeah. garments and they're very careful not to accidentally sexually assault him? Right. They're very careful not to accidentally castrate him. They made and they sure not, not
1: to not to not to cut his balls off again.
2: Yeah, we gotta walk in backwards. Um, <laughs> avert your eyes. Let's drop this garment over yeah. him so we that will, we don't. We will
1: offer no medical attention. Uh, but we will make sure we'll put a nice blanket on you.
2: Yeah. Um, And that'll soak up most of the blood. Yeah. So um, I I think it's very clearly um, needs to be read as a reference to just seeing his father's uh, shame. Yeah. And, and I think there's a, um, oh, and I don't know if I mentioned it, but one of the other readings that has been promoted more recently is that it was um, maternal incest that this was not a reference to sexually assaulting Noah, but Noah's wife. And that was a reading that was promoted um, in a Journal of Biblical Literature article from 2005 by John Bergsma and Scott Hahn called Noah's Nakedness and the Curse on Canaan, where they argued this was maternal incest. So that, <clears throat> that has kind of become in vogue recently because of, uh, of that article. But these, these readings are more salacious, and so people find them more interesting. Because I mean,
1: in, in fairness to Ham, there were like seven people left in the whole world. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's not, there's not many people that can satisfy whatever sexy feelings you're having. <laughs> um, but still, your dad or your mom is probably the wrong choice.
0: Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe
2: For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And when it comes to Noah waking up and, and knowing what his youngest son had done to him, that's kind of a MacGuffin. Yeah. Like Noah has to find out for this curse to, to happen. And so if you're, you're, you're not going to go through this lengthy discussion of, of here's how Noah found out. You're just going to say, and look, Noah found out. Okay. Don't worry about why, but, or how Noah found out. Um, and so I I don't think that creates any any problems for a straightforward reading. So I think we need to understand this on a literary level and not on a historical level. Way too often people are trying to imagine what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on in the minds of the actors, and and it's like that's not helping you make sense of a story that somebody wrote. Right. What's going to help you make sense of a story that somebody wrote is how do authors. Think about this: How do authors utilize characters? What right. literary conventions might be influencing how they're telling the story? The way they're telling the story. Um, well, and
1: and as we've talked about, uh, it's not just you know first you have to think about the author, and then you have to think about how this has been transmitted through time. Because it seems to me that the Ham, the father of Canaan, you know that father of Canaan being inserted a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. That seems likely to be an afterthought that somebody else jammed in there, right? Is, when they're when it,
2: they're getting the story together, they're like, "Hey, man, you left Canaan as the as the one who's getting cursed, and you're telling this story about Ham, and it's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just say Ham was the father of Canaan, and then that will prime the pump, and everybody will be like, oh, I got you. That's why, because right. he's he's his father. So, um, yeah, I, I think we can see the the um, authorial seams in here." Uh, as this story is coming together. And so it's not as salacious a reading to say, yeah, Ham saw Noah naked, and rather than protect his father's honor, he went and spread his shame. His brothers um, protected their father's honor, and so Noah um, said, I curse you, (laughs) and— Initially, the story was about Canaan, and later on, they wrote Ham into the story because they needed they needed somebody to be the eponymous ancestor to the Africans, and, uh, and Ham was their guy. So, so we got it's mo- it's both more complex and more simple. Than uh, yeah, the readings that have been ginned up to try to account for this.
1: I got to tell you, you have not convinced me that this is a good passage. <laughs> no, that, this is, that like anything. Positive has occurred here, yeah. or that I should like it at all.
2: No, uh, certainly uh, that's not the <laughs> the goal of me trying to <laughs> to clarify what's going on here. I, yeah. I had s- something I've noticed recently as um, as on on Twitter. I've gotten a lot more attention from uh, uh, from Christian nationalists and, mm. and others. There seems to be an uptick in people who will see a video or a tweet of mine where I say something along the lines of the bible supports slavery from beginning to end and they're like oh you're saying slavery is good <laughs> no, no no i'm i'm telling you what was in the bible i'm not saying i endorse biblical morality or or biblical ethics i'm saying this is what the bible says and and so now uh, some friends of mine are like you should probably put a disclaimer on there just to kind of cut off those those claims and and i think it's <laughs> the most ludicrous thing in the world that I would need to let people know just cause I'm saying the Bible says, this does right. not mean I'm saying this is the word of God and everybody should be doing it. Um, yeah. That. Well, but
1: I will make it explicit that uh, the, the, it is the official position of the data over dogma podcast that slavery is bad. Okay. Mm. Uh, and as, as, as is cursing someone's line uh, forever period really i just don't think yeah. that that's okay i don't think yeah. that that's a great
2: uh thing to do yeah and and even the in the bible you know you got you got some people who say uh well god will um curse your uh your offspring uh to the fourth generation or whatever and then you got other ones who say they will not visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children so whichever god of the bible you endorse let's hope it's the one that does not um visit the iniquities of the father on the, on the children until the fourth generation. Yeah. Especially the, if those iniquities
1: are like, just like snickering a little bit at seeing your dad's yeah. ding dong. Yeah.
2: Walk in on, on your dad naked. Um, I mean, who, uh, you know, let he, who has not done that cast yeah, the first right. stones. Um, what, is, yeah, I, there, what are the, what are the, in like there are cartoons and things like that, where you have, uh, Oh, like Flash, and and what's the what is it? Evil Flash or something? Like? Who's who's got the yellow costume? Like there's Man, you're, you've got you're, you're Sonic. Out and,
1: of, I'm out of my depth on this one.
2: Yeah, I, they, they usually have like an anti character uh-huh. for for some folks. So, says um, the guy who's
1: wearing a Bizarro Superman shirt as we speak.
2: <laughs> yeah, at uh, when when we first hopped on, Dan was like. Is your video backwards? No, it's not. What's going on? <laughs> um, is, the S on your shirt is backwards. Um, yeah, but uh, and so uh, the Bible has your your God and your and your yellow God or your anti God yeah, or your right. um, your whatever, uh, however you want to qualify the hero with their anti counterpart. Um, but yeah, um, we're gonna have to
1: start doing a a bizarro God uh, <laughs> segment on the show. <laughs> Yeah, the anyway. one
2: that uh, yeah, when we uh, we talked about that in Revelation a little bit, the, that's the true. Bizarro God of Revelation. That's true. So yeah, um, uh, spaying new to your pets, everybody. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, I think
1: that's a great way to leave it off uh, because it's going to lead us, you know, just this talk of nakedness and shame. I think is a great lead in to our next segment: your patriarchy and you. So uh here here's the thing. Uh recently you got into some some Twitter dust ups, uh as you are known to do. If as anyone, as is my won't. Let's as be as is your won't. Uh you you uh, you occasionally will disagree with some people on <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, or so,
2: um or X if uh if you care what Elon Musk thinks.
1: I will I don't think I'll ever call it that. I don't yeah, think I'm no, willing.
2: But the the book I've uh, <laughs> I'm working on a trade book right now and there's yeah. a, there's a chapter where I start off with an anecdote and I talk about Twitter and it was like, so-and-so wrote on Twitter and then parenthetically I had just have, or whatever. Um, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever it is, it's going to die soon anyway. It's already lost billions of dollars anyway. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. One of the things that you were talking about uh, was a concept that is near and dear to many Christian and Jewish and uh, Muslim people's heart, which is the dressing modestly of women, Yes. the modest dressing of yeah. of women. Um,
2: it's a. Do you know how that, this all started? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, there's a beer company called Conservative Dad. Oh God! And um, the full name is Conservative Dad. I think it's a uh, ultra right beer or something like that. Wow. Um and they released a 2024 Real Women of America calendar. So a pinup calendar mm-hmm. with conservative women like Dana Loch and and other folks like that who are well known in the conservative world in various states of dress and undress. So it sure. is intended to be uh titillating. And a lot of the um, blue checks on Twitter just went ballistic, Uh, called it satanic, called this, um, yeah, said that this was uh, soft porn, Uh um, said it was, quote, not conservative in perhaps the most vicious cut of all. Yes. Um, and, uh, And you had a lot of Christians who just loudly braying about how upset they were that these women would appear in this calendar and they would purport to be conservatives. And, and so that then caused all of these Christians to find their, let's say, find their relief in um, spewing scripture all over Twitter. Well, uh, about uh, I mean,
1: this. this is a tradition that goes back a long way and uh and there are uh, a whole bunch, you know, I I went and did a bunch of uh, poking around to find who was saying what about how the ladies should dress. Interestingly, mm-hmm. so many of the places that I found, and we'll we'll talk about this a little while later, but so many of them said th- that that men should also dress modestly, but no time was spent on, like what that looked like. But a lot of time was spent on what women dressing modestly looks like right uh, and they did they they i uh, should I just uh rattle off a few of let's, the uh the, the scriptures in. that yeah. we've uh the, the, that have been given to support the idea that uh that women need to dress modestly and we'll get to what modesty might mean
2: yeah well uh, as the as the mediocre poet once said, all right, let's see it.
1: <laughs> Indeed, uh, I'm going to start with First Timothy chapter two, okay. which I which I saw a lot of, uh, and that starts on on verse nine. It says also that the women should dress themselves in moderate clothing with mm-hmm. reverence and self control, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. Yes. Now, so, I have never seen anyone berate a woman, a Christian woman for wearing gold or pearls.
2: Or for braiding her hair.
1: Or for braiding her hair. There's yeah, a lot of
2: braided Christians out there. That's the word of God. Um, it's right so, there in yeah. Timothy. <clears throat> so um, we've talked about Timothy before, mm. Um which is not uh, Pauline, it comes from later on, written by somebody who was pretending to be Paul. But they're reflecting pretty standard uh, Greco-Roman ideologies regarding the household, the oikonomia of, of the standard house, which, where everyone had a specific role and a place, and everything stayed in its place. And the woman's role was to be respectable, to bring honor rather than shame, to her household and to her husband, and to basically be seen and not heard. And the word here that is uh, translated modest is um, kosmios. Uh, And I'll read from a, a lexicon here. One sense, which is probably not the sense we're talking about, is having characteristics or qualities that evoke admiration or delight an expression of high regard for a person respectable, honorable. Uh, The sense that we're probably dealing here with is related, uh, being appropriate for winning approval or Mm. appropriate. So it's just saying wearing appropriate clothing. And then we have the explanation of what that means, not braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothing. So appropriate here very clearly means not ostentatious displays of wealth.
1: Yeah, that very clearly seems to be about showing off. Yeah. It's it's about, I mean, so like I would imagine that a modern equivalent would be not with like Louis Vuitton labels and and (laughs) like, you know, Gucci all over everything.
2: Yeah, well, in in this time period, uh, early Christians, Greco-Roman period Jewish folks, pretty conservative socially, probably dressing pretty conservative as well. There wouldn't have been too much of a... Uh, there wouldn't have been a a, a very large uh, standard deviation from how um, most folks were dressing, and so yeah, braiding your hair, wearing gold, wearing um, you know, fancy stuff probably would have been considered um, you know, trying to stand out. Right. And and the idea here is don't stand out, don't show people up. Uh, do good things, look respectable, bring honor to the to the household. Um, and so yeah, the. The admonition here is very clearly to not try to display wealth or status.
1: Are you saying that showing that a woman showing her shoulders
2: is not what second, or what First Timothy is all about? Nobody is saying anything about shoulders at all. Nobody In mentions fact, skin. <laughs> no, it, there's, there's no part of there's only one part of the entire Bible that has anything to do with identifying a body part that a woman must cover. Mm. And that's in First Corinthians eleven. And that's where Paul says, when you're praying or prophesying, please for the sake of all that is good and holy, <laughs> put a cover on your head. Yeah. And and this is this is a temporary thing. This isn't, you know, men are going to be driven crazy with lust if they see your forehead or your hair. It's just it has to do with with probably um, kind of ritual conventions of the of the time period, and Paul's just rationalizing it. He probably doesn't want to overturn the apple cart, and this was a convention, and so he's coming up with a rationalization. In he fairness, about he gets he goes and, pretty hard
1: on it. Like he does go hard on it. Yeah, he yeah. he says if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But if it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or off or be shaved, she should wear a veil.
2: Yeah. So, um, and, and Paul elsewhere says nature itself testifies that long hair on a man is shameful. Yes. Um, so, you know, he's a biologist. He knows what he's talking about. Um, he knows nature has agency. So Right. Um, yeah. and, and not
1: only is it shameful it, uh, if a man has long hair, but it's glorious if a woman has long hair. Yeah. If, if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. Yeah. For and her then, hair and- is given for her a, a covering. Yeah, it's given and, to her for a covering. Yeah,
2: but but you still got to cover the covering. Uh, you got to cover of, the covering, which is a weird. Okay, yeah, fine. For for the sake of the angels, right. And and scholars really don't know what on earth uh, is going on here. There are there are ideas that maybe there was a, a cultic practice where where women uh, were not covering their head, and these these practices were seen as as unseemly, and so they didn't want to be associated with these other cultic practices or it, we don't know exactly what's going on, but one thing we can say for sure is this has nothing to do with ensuring that nobody's getting wood from right. watching you yes. pray. Yeah.
1: That that seems to be very true because it's only when she's praying that she's, uh, that she's doing this.
2: Yeah. And so. I mean, not to kink shame, but um, <laughs> if that's your thing, maybe leave the ladies alone at, at church. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, what, what else do we got?
1: Uh, I think you, uh, I th- you know. Oh, so there's, you know, Deuteronomy has a whole thing about a woman shall not wear a man's apparel, mm-hmm. nor shall a man put on a woman's 22, garment. Twenty-two
2: five, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, that's that that you know. I what is a woman or a man's apparel changes dramatically over time. Yes, I mean, depending on we can all sort of look back at any costume drama and see that like what is a woman's clothing has been different. And what is a man's clothing has been different for forever. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that women wear, you know, wore, were men's clothing first, high heels were men's first, you know, makeup was invented for men first, all of that sort of thing. So that seems situational and is not at all specific. It doesn't say here are the specific garments that men wear that women wouldn't.
2: Yeah. And and there's also not a parody. Like, uh, if it said, "Don't a woman should not wear a man's clothes, and a man should not wear a woman's clothes," like that would be that would be some parody. But they actually use different words to right. describe each thing, and so this has confused a lot of people. There are some folks that think this has to do with like armor, like women should not put on the work clothes of warrior men. Um, and things like that. So women need to, um, you know, be in the domestic sphere. They should not go out and, and fight battles. I, I, that's reading a lot of extra stuff into it. That's, that's not there. Uh, but yeah, this is, I, I, I personally don't know that I would be able to distinguish the apparel of a man from the apparel of a woman uh, in the time period of the composition of Deuteronomy 22. Yeah, like if I were just thrown back in time and some uh, somebody I saw somebody from behind and they were wearing clothes, I wouldn't probably wouldn't be able to tell if it was a, a man or a woman. Yeah, to a, to
1: a, a modern eye, it's like, oh, look at that robe that that person is wearing.
2: Yeah, and this has this has something to do with. There's a passage in. Oh shoot, I forget where it is. Uh, you may have run across it, but there's a part where they talk about somebody um, dressed in uh, the clothes in, of a sex worker. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I,
1: I, re- I did bump
2: across that, but I didn't actually, I didn't pull it. Did, okay. So, the and, and here's an, uh, a passage where some people think, oh, that must be similar to what we talk about when we talk about somebody dressing like, uh, you know, a lady of the night. She's that dressed this, like a hooker. Yeah, it's like I they probably didn't do the same thing with um their dress to signal their profession um right. anciently. It was there was probably some kind of way that they used uh their clothing to indicate what they did and it probably didn't have to do with showing more skin. Yeah. It, it was probably, a jaunty hat. <laughs> yeah, you put a feather in your hat and then everybody <laughs> knows um yeah, um so there was probably some kind of coded uh, apparel right. that allowed people to identify. Um, well, I, d-
1: I do have Zephaniah one, which I thought was confusing. Okay. Zephaniah one verse eight says, and on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the King's sons and all who dress themselves in foreign attire. Uh huh. That's the, uh, the NRSV. Yeah. Uh, this- Go ahead. So, so again, you know, it's, a prohibition of uh, about how we dress, but clearly like obviously that has nothing to do with modesty in any sense that we think of it it's yeah yeah' it's, this, about, it's about signaling your tribe or whatever yeah
2: and and some of the the three like most essential features of an ethnic identity a a people's identity language food dress, hmm. and so there are many different ways that people signal belonging through dress and it does not have to be the percentage of skin that is covered or uncovered. It can be so many different ways. Uh, and so, yeah, here it's, uh, you know, maybe they, um, you know, point the bill of their cap the other direction in, in the other, in the other country, maybe they butter the other side of their bread. Maybe <laughs> they open their soft boiled egg from the other end. Uh, there are just so many different ways that you can create, uh, the schismogenesis, You can create these identity markers by doing little changes. They wear blue and they wear red. Um, you know, the, you could do a bunch of different things. And so, when when, when you were in the UK,
1: did you uh, did you pick up the habit of turning your fork upside down and smushing all the food onto the back of the <laughs> fork? I think that that's that's one where where we could rumble with uh, with, with the yeah. Brits on how to, how to use a fork. <laughs>
2: Uh, I I did not do that. I'm sure that I horrified a number of the locals when I <laughs> um when I was there let's see 2 octobers ago I was uh, uh I was in the UK for work and I swung by Oxford and a friend of mine was doing a uh, a fellowship at Magdalen College and so he invited me to come have lunch at the college with him which is like a fancy affair mm. um but yeah it was <laughs> it was uh it was fun, and I'm sure that uh, there were people looking at me like, "You silly yank." Um, they, they
1: they forgave your evil American fork usage.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I think I might have actually been wearing my uh, my Bizarro t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it, it's like I'm almost positive I was wearing a a, uh, a graphic t, and it might have been this one. So um, to uh, to return to uh, modesty, I, I think we've got something in 1 Peter 3, which is basically the same thing that we've got in 1 Timothy 2. Right. Um, Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair and by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Literally the exact same three things. Right. That, is, um, that are mentioned in 1 Timothy 2. Rather let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. All and, and it's just saying the same thing, that this modesty here is about avoiding ostentatious displays of wealth. And so I, I said something on Twitter that a lot of people um, immediately wanted to try to um, refute me on, but there's not a single passage anywhere in the Bible that tells women they have to cover up their bodies so that men are not driven to lust after them or sexually assault them or uh just get upset with them for um uh, well, you know whatever
1: that is the uh the thing that you see all the time that is the uh the excuse that all of these and you know it's it's not and it's not just men making this argument women make this argument to other women as well yeah. that somehow if they dress Sexually, or in a way that uh, that could encourage men's lust, they are then uh, responsible for for causing their brothers in Christ to stumble. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reference to in in Romans 14, uh, verse 13, that says, "Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance." In the way of a brother or sister, uh, which, yeah, that I mean, you could interpret it that way, but that's not what. That doesn't seem to be what that uh, passage actually says. It's not about women dressing in one one way yeah.
2: or another. Yeah, this has this has nothing to do with uh with governing how how women are dressing. I mean, it's just. It just doesn't say anything about that.
1: Ironically, and, it says don't pass judgment on somebody else. Yeah, which uh, it seems like everyone who comments on how a woman dresses in a negative way like this is is very much passing judgment on that woman.
2: Yeah, and and what is appropriate or inappropriate is is subjective, is relative. Yeah. Uh, they're yeah. they're it's going to horrify a lot of people who have never left the country or never learned another language, but there are many parts of the world where um, degrees of nudity that would make us uncomfortable are just part of everyday life where that is just the way it is. And nobody bats an eye at it. Um, And so if a guy, uh, so there's this guy, um, Joshua Hames on, on Twitter uh, who is uh, a, you know, a mustache and cigar uh, enjoyer. Uh, who says, um, and this was one of the tweets that I responded to, he says, I was once put into the position of having to address a woman for regularly not wearing a bra to church on Sunday. Horrific. Um, That was my editorializing. Uh, (laughs) Joshua continues, I was accused of body shaming. Pause for gasps. Right. The truth is, it is incredibly unloving to allow a fellow sister in Christ to continue causing brothers to stumble Without addressing it. So here we're not even talking about covering your body. We're talking about restraining covered parts of your body. Right. So that somebody else doesn't catch wood. Yeah. Which is asinine. And that is certainly not in the Bible.
1: No, absolutely not. The other thing is, the thing that's really interesting is that when you delve into this conversation, when you start to look at how this conversation happens, I mentioned earlier how... There's, a, there's frequently a, a, a sort of compulsory but half-hearted nod to, yes, gentlemen should also, men should also, you know, dress modestly yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But one thing that is never mentioned in talking about how men dress is their bodies. Yeah. Nobody ever says, never, nobody ever says the word body when they talk about a man's dress. But man. A woman's body is cut, you know, it oh you have to wear enough to cover your body. Oh, mm-hmm. you shouldn't the contours of her body, oh the this and that. And it's just like uh that and in all of the scripture that I see cited for this, there's never a mention of the woman's body. The scripture is is completely devoid of that. That yeah. is just imposed upon it.
2: Yeah. And um this is today. Obviously, the the this discourse is largely governed by the male gaze. This is about what is of concern and what is of interest to men, mm-hmm. um, and for the most part, you know they're not they're not worried about it. This is something that um, there are some comic book artists that I used to be fans of. I a fan of. I'm no longer a fan of them because when. a a debate erupted about the way women are portrayed in comic books. They were ones who went out of their way to sexualize, uh, women. And a lot of them would be like, we do the same for men. And it's a power fantasy when you do it for men. Right. It is something entirely different when you do it for women. Uh, and, and that's part of the, how the male gaze, uh, governs comic books as, as well. Uh, a very disappointing feature of something that uh, I really enjoy
1: yeah i i I think that one of the the eye opening moment for me was when someone decided to use matthew five verses twenty eight and twenty nine to say that uh women should dress x or y like this, <laughs> we, like there's a way that women should dress. Because that and that verse came up a number of times as I Talk was. Talk about
2: at, renegotiating the Bible.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> because liter because if you just read verse twenty eight, it says, but I say to you, and usually it's just verse twenty-eight, I should be clear that only verse twenty-eight is mentioned. It says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And what should they do? <laughs> Tell the woman to cover up, (laughs) obviously. Oh, wait, no, that's not what Matthew says. What Matthew says is, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, a.k.a. lust after the woman, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Which very clearly to me says... The responsibility for the man's lust has nothing to do with her. Yeah, and everything. Like, if you want to remedy it, it's your eye that's the problem. It is your. And
2: and you had you read you read a translation that said uh, if your right eye causes you to sin. Yeah, the word there um, in Greek is uh, "skandalizo," which means "cause to stumble." Mm. So when this guy says cause, uh, women are causing men to stumble. Well, the scripture says it's your own eye that is causing you to stumble. So it blames someone for lusting after a woman yeah, and it okay. is the man's eye. So, yeah. um, it is, it is pretty clear, uh, in the scriptures, you you will not find a passage that says, Women are responsible for this, or that. Women have to cover up so that they don't cause this. Um, it is entirely on the men, and and this is not to say that uh, the the Bible is um, you know this is not the yes queenification of the Bible. The Bible <laughs> right. is is very misogynistic in in many many places and patriarchal
1: as, and and sort of yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: It it is to say, however, that what we have decided is going to be a battleground for us, was not a battleground anciently. And when we try to reach back into the ancient world for a proof text in order to leverage the authority of the Bible for our own identity politics and our own identity markers, we have to read it into the text because it's not there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it. I, which is funny to me. I, I'll be honest with you. Like I knew where we were going with this conversation when I was, st- when I started researching this, mm-hmm. but I honestly did think that I would find some, some scriptures that would say that would support the argument in some way. Yeah. I'm shocked
2: oh. to find literally nothing. Literally nothing. Um, there was, there was one, another, uh, another guy on Twitter uh, quoted one of the proverbs, Proverbs eleven twenty two, and and he was like, I got you. This one's crystal clear, okay. and it says, um, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. And he and he was commenting that all these conservative women who pose for this calendar, he, he called he said they were covered in swine snot. Oh, wow. Which was, yes, he was trying to be as vulgar as he could while still maintaining plausible, the plausible deniability of a Christian man. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't know his Hebrew because that word for discretion does not refer to modesty and dress. The word is ta'am in Hebrew, and this refers to good sense or judgment. Um, and it's used elsewhere. Uh, Abigail gives David some some advice and David considers it and then goes blessed be your taam your judgment not your dressing modestly so yeah, yeah you, you go ahead tear the bible apart try and find a place where it explicitly tells women they need to cover up so that they don't cause men to lust after them you will be looking for an awfully long time that is so crazy to me
1: i uh, because it, it has become such a, a whipping boy uh, for the the Christian right in this country, it is such an important thing to them that that the fact that it's just not there, uh, ha- yeah, it actually did take me by surprise.
2: Oh, I do want to bring up one passage, um, first do first Cor- Corinthians twelve, uh, twenty three. Okay, let me pull this up so this is right. So here we have. Um, uh, Paul is talking about uh, the body of Christ, as in the the congregation, the membership. How we all have different roles, and we make up different parts of the body. And in twelve twenty three, says, and this is the uh, the NRSV. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. And this word that the NRSV translates greater respect uh, is eschimosini, uh, and this word refers to the state of being appropriate for display, propriety, decorum, presentability. They have a word that refers to what we could plausibly argue means modest in dress, covering up, what is considered shameful or private, um, and it is only ever used to talk about everybody who is a Christian as a member of the body of Christ. It is not used, or actually let me verify that. I I don't think I found anything. Yeah, this is the only passage in all the New Testament where this word occurs. So Mm. they have the means to refer to women dressing in a way that is modest in dress, covering up. And they never use it to refer to. Do we have any
1: it. sense of where the word "modest"? When, like, how the word, the English word "modest," which has the meaning, like, you know, the meaning from Timothy and from uh, from Peter mm-hmm. of being modest about your wealth, of being modest, meaning like not showing off, not being like that, right. makes sense to me as a as a as, as a way of using the word "modest." So. Uh,
2: I like to go to um, the online etymological dictionary to find sure. out when when words um, started being used to mean certain things. If you have a subscription to the online Oxford English dictionary, great. Most people don't. Um, online etymological dictionary is free. Etymonline, E-T-Y-M online dot com. You can look up any word you want. Modest adjective 1560s. Having moderate self-regard, restrained by a sense of propriety or humility. Uh, so this is the sense that we see in the Bible. Yeah. From Latin modestus, moderate, keeping due measure, sober, gentle, temperate. From modus, measure, manner. From Proto Indo European root med, take appropriate measures.
1: None of that so far has anything to do with like right cleavage,
2: right <laughs> of women not improper or lewd. Pure in thought and context. So we're, we're moving in that direction. That usage okay. starts in the 1590s. Oh, okay. Of female attire, not gaudy or showy, that is the 1610s. Okay. So that, we've got a few different senses of this word. Right. Um, and today, yeah, when um, you would use the word modest, most people would tie it immediately to—unless uh, the context indicates otherwise, most people would tie it to women— covering up an appropriate amount of their body.
1: Yeah, like growing up, the only time I heard the word modest and, you know, in the context of women's dress, again, never men's dress, but it was always about, oh, you're showing too much leg. Oh, you're showing too much boob. Oh, you're showing too much shoulder. Whatever. But it was literally about how much skin is is being revealed by whatever yeah. clothing this person chose to wear.
2: Yeah. Um and w- an interesting thing this uh this gentleman from Twitter Joshua who was put in the uncomfortable position of having to try and police a woman's nipples uh, yeah. at church. Uh he had a he he's a blue check, so he writes novels and posts <laughs> them on Twitter. To be and clear, his-
1: for those of you who haven't kept up with how Twitter <laughs> goes now, it used to a blue check used to mean that you're a a person uh like a a famous person. A public fig- figure. A public figure who yeah. has been, and your account has been verified to be the, actually you. Now it just means you pay Elon $8 a month or whatever, and uh, and you get to, to bl- you know, blather more than 240 characters or whatever. It
2: is. <laughs> yeah. And many of them far more than 240 characters. But um, this rant ended with him saying, remember, modest is hottest, which... <laughs> Two comments, I would add. One brings it all back around to say, remember, women, you still only have value in public um as a sexual object. Right. And two, if modest is hottest, isn't that gonna drive more men to lust after?
0: Right. A woman? Yeah, exactly. Isn't this kind oh, of self-doing modesty?
2: Oh darn. <laughs> Cause if somebody's gonna get extra aroused by modesty, then you yeah. know they're stumbling and yeah, um, that's all there, your fault for dressing dressing modestly
1: there is literally no good reason to every other than the pleasant rhyme of the thing <laughs> yeah that's a that's a terrible phrase to use yeah
2: it's uh, <laughs> thoughtless <laughs> thoughtless rhetoric from uh uh from the male gaze right so.
1: yep all right well uh I that I'm I'm again mystified and uh and but pleasantly relieved to find out that uh, all of this you have to cover up stuff they're just making up it's not biblical uh so so ladies get out there and and horrify some <laughs> some fragile men if you want to that's 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 their problem if they have an issue with it yeah well, if you would like to uh, write into us and tell us how wrong we are <laughs> about all of this, please feel free to do so. Contact at dataoverdogmapod.com is the uh, email address. If you would like to support this show, get early access to every episode, uh, ad-free versions of the episodes, you can do so by uh, going to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash uh, and just sign up at, at at the level that feels happy to you. Uh, other than that, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody. Data Over Dogma is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. It is a production of Data Over Dogma Media, LLC, copyright 2023, all rights reserved.
2: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast, Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History
0: Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.